Welcome to the She Fills Forward podcast, brought to you by Her Branding Co., the leading educational platform teaching female founders how to market, brand, and grow their businesses. We're your hosts, Jess and Mari, co-founders of Her Branding Co. Together, we have over 20 years of experience in marketing, branding, and entrepreneurship, and we know exactly what it feels like to take the leap having no idea how you'll come out on the other side. We believe that the pursuit of perfection is futile in entrepreneurship, and that failing forward is truly the best way to build a business. On the She Fails Forward podcast, we'll interview successful founders to explore the journey, trials, and tribulations they've overcome to building businesses that they love. Sit with us as we host live interviews, pull back the curtain, and dig into the nitty gritty of what it really takes to build a business and a brand that you can be proud of. Because even the most successful of business owners will admit that they're just figuring it out as they go. So without further ado, let's start the show. On today's episode, we are chatting with Lauren Washington. You might not know Lauren because Lauren hardly has any social media. She is so humble, very quiet in her energy, but she means business. I have worked with Lauren now for a couple of years in various different capacities, and she is an absolute powerhouse in all the things. And I'm so honored to have her on the show because she has been a mentor for our founders who participate in our accelerator. She's been a judge. She's just been such a wonderful resource for the women on our platform. And we're having her on the show today to really talk about her early stages of her businesses. She has run four different companies. and. Her experience is incredible. Predominantly, she's the uh, co-founder and she's on the board of Black Women Talk Tech. And she's also the co-founder and CEO of Funder, which is a fundraising platform that helps founders secure investors and fundraising opportunities by removing biases that are embedded into the fundraising process by making fundraising much more equitable for founders who typically don't receive funding. And you know, what I admire so much about Lauren is just just her humbleness. I mean, she is, again, such a wealth of knowledge. And in this episode, we talk about so much. Predominantly, we talk about finding product market fit, what that looks like, what some of the mistakes were that she made with her first company and how she did not have product market fit and her learnings from those things. We also talk about team building, what it's like to bring on a co-founder. What do you need to think about whenever you are building a team or looking to bring on a partner or someone to help you grow the business? And then of course, we also talk about some of the basics of venture capital funding and institutional fundraising. And we're gonna have Lauren back on the show to really deep dive into this, but you know, she really talks about how not everyone should be fundraising, uh, which is a very unpopular opinion, but it's very true. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode as you think about what it might mean for you to have product market fit, to build community, to build a product or a solution that people actually want and need. And I just know that you're just absolutely gonna love this episode. All right, Lauren, we are so excited to have you on our podcast for this episode. You are one of our favorite mentors, and I can gladly say that. I know we got, I think we met a couple years ago through the Founder Institute, I think is where we got connected. 
and you have since keynoted for us. You've been a judge, you've been a mentor for our Lucy Lab Accelerator, and you've hosted several fireside chats. We are eternally grateful for your partnership and all the knowledge that you're always sharing with our community. So thank you for being here and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am such a huge fan of all the work that you're doing, obviously, and really excited for this podcast series. Awesome. All right, well, let's just jump right in. So for those of you who haven't heard of you, because you're you're pretty quiet, you know, you don't have too much social media, you're just like kicking butt behind the scenes, not really publicly sharing. So like, tell our listeners kind of where you started with entrepreneurship and kind of how you even got here. And I know your story is really interesting and you have a lot of ebbs and flows. I know that's a load of questions. So, you know, kind of give us your quick origin story. Yeah, sure. So um, I am a four-time entrepreneur, but I actually started off um, my career in Teach for America. So I was a teacher. So I taught fourth, fifth, and sixth grade special education. Then I went into the corporate space and jumped into online marketing and social media. I worked at InStyle Magazine, TV Guide, uh, doing like the first days of social media where it, this was pre-Twitter. I mean, that's how early it was. <laughs> we were right. doing things with MySpace. Um, oh, so MySpace. Probably, <laughs> yes, I'm probably dating myself, but we were we had MySpace business pages. You know, that's Throwback. how long ago it was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then went to business school um, at Northwestern University, graduated, and then went on to the agency side. So I worked um, at Omnicom Group and did a rotational program through four of their different agencies, um, and then landed at a social media firm where I was essentially building out a new department that looked at big data and how it can create business insights. So um, through my time on the agencies. I worked on over 100 companies, <laughs> building up their strategy and branding and social media. Um, and then that actually led to my first business, which is called Keep Up. So what we ended up doing was we automated that social media listening. Uh, when I was working at the agencies, it took us um, hours with a team of 10 people and thousands of dollars to do um, what I wanted to automate. And so we built out an app that essentially used natural language processing to do that. We ended up winning the 43 North competition up in Buffalo, New York, uh, won $250,000 through that. And that essentially kicked off my entrepreneurial uh, career and then was unable to raise after that. <laughs> so just hit wall after wall after wall. Um, it was a completely new uh way of, of failing for me. Um, and so while I was doing that, I ended up meeting these other two women, Asosa and Regina, uh, and we ended up starting Black Women Talk Tech, basically just to help each other build up our businesses and, and talk about what we were all going through. Uh, and we ended up growing to now be the largest conference in the world for Black women tech founders. We've expanded into Black Men Talk Tech and chapters around the world and a nonprofit. And that also led to my most recent company that I'm working on, which is Funder. Um, so I mentioned the issues with fundraising in my first company. Um, and then all the stories we heard from these women over time in terms of their issues with fundraising really led to creating this platform that is building in access and equity for all types of founders to fundraise for their businesses. 
Oh my God. And we're going to get into that because I want to talk yeah. all about this, <laughs> this fundraising journey. Okay. Um, so Keep Up was basically Hootsuite, like all the platforms before before they were the platforms. Um, and you know, we're, we're big on failures over here, however you want to classify that. So I definitely want to get into that as well. But I, I want to go back for a second because I, I knew you were a teacher, but that's a really big jump from teacher to corporate, corporate to agency. So could you kind of walk us through like that lifeline and how you how you got there to there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I had actually studied advertising and graphic design in my undergrad. And so for me, that was always something I wanted to go back into and explore. I ended up doing Teach for America because I had some friends who had gone through the program and was just so um, inspired by the work that they were doing. I have teachers in my family. My mom was a teacher and my uncle was a principal. And so education was always really important to me and equity uh, was always important to me in, in a lot of different ways. But I, I've always seen um, the through line of education to creating better outcomes in life. And so wanted to pass that along. Um, that was a rough year for me. I learned so much in terms of who I am and resilience and organization and motivation for kids who did not want to do their work and working in a system that was not set up for those children or set up for um, my success. And so there was a lot that I took from that that I still use today, um, truly in my in my career. Um, but moving from that job to, um, I went directly into InStyle Magazine, that was tough. I didn't have a job for, I think three or four months, just kind of searching and, and trying to convince somebody that the skills I learned as a teacher could be applied in marketing. Sure. Um, and I was so lucky to have um, my first boss, her name is Amy Cohane, and she was a huge inspiration to me. And she was the vice president of digital um, at InStyle and sort of gave me my first shot. I ended up going to Northwestern because of her. She was a Kellogg grad as well um, and really showed me what it was like to be a powerful uh, businesswoman and in this space that there weren't many women uh, sort of uh, making that charge at the time. So learned so much from her in terms of um, just taking these jumps and these leaps and, and truly just asserting yourself as a boss and as a manager. Um, and that just had set me up for the rest of my career. Wow. So there's a through line that we've seen in the past couple of episodes that we've recorded and it's relationships and the value of having some contact somewhere that either introduces you to someone who changes your, your life path, um, gets you connected, something like that. And I think you are hitting a nail on the head that is so important, particularly for all women everywhere, in my personal opinion, but also for entrepreneurship, is that you really can't be what you can't see. And for mm -hmm. you to have a role model that you could actually say, like, this is possible. Okay, like, I actually see a path forward. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that type of experience is, is invaluable. It really was. And I had never thought about going to grad school. I actually remember when I graduated, I said, I will never go back to school again. <laughs> I was like so yes. over it at the time. Um, and just never even thought that business uh, as it was 
for me. We had a business school at my undergrad and I purposefully avoided it because I just didn't see myself in that world at all. Uh, but after meeting her and seeing what she was doing and how she was applying all of that knowledge, it really, it truly inspired me to go and get my own degree. And I'm so grateful that I did it because I was able to create um, these structures and these frameworks and, and a huge network um, from that that are still serving me to this day. Wow, wonderful. That's that's amazing. Okay, thank you for that because I did not I did not know that journey, so I was curious. Okay, mm -hmm. so then let's fast forward to Keep Up. I want to hear all about this. Like you built the first social listening platform. Um, you have famously said that it totally failed. So walk us through this. Like how did you build it? What did you learn? Give us the goods. Yeah, I think I did literally everything wrong in my first company that <laughs> you could possibly do, <laughs> starting with, um, you know, the, the people who I chose to join the business who were not necessarily right um, and maybe didn't want to be there, who knows, but they just weren't right for what we were building out um, to uh, bringing in money too early. You know, we won that 43 North competition two months after we launched on the Apple store. And so we wow. had this huge influx of cash and had no idea what to do with it because we were still kind of learning. We didn't have a, have a product market fit yet. Um, and so we really just burned through that money. Um, I had issues in terms of fundraising because I had no idea what the lingo was and how to approach investors and uh, you know what that process looked like. And it was truly a black box. This was back in 2014 um, where there, there wasn't much conversation around it the way there is now. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just trying to figure it out without having mentors or advisors around me. Um, and then truly, ended up um, just failing. The business just exploded. Um, and a lot of that came from also the, um, the climate at the time. So at that point, their Cambridge Analytica started happening and all of the uh, social media sites that we were tapped into started shutting down their services to third party developers. And so we could just see them one by one shutting everything off that we needed in order to build our business. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all those different factors sort of came together. It wasn't just one thing. Uh, there were a lot of things. There were a lot of things that I, I didn't know, a lot of things I didn't do right. Um, a lot of people I, I didn't have the same structure or support around me. Um, it all ended uh, up with the business, unfortunately failing, but I learned so much from that <laughs> in terms of what to do and what not to do for my next businesses, in terms of my resilience, in terms of um, just who I was and what I wanted to be, that I wouldn't necessarily change anything that happened then. Yeah, of course. I think um, Sophia Amoroso famously said, who has a who had a very public failure with Nasty Gal, mm -hmm. she famously mm -hmm. says, uh, your first business is your play business. It's your pretend business, uh -huh. right? It's where you mess <laughs> up and you figure it out and then you apply all those learnings to your second business. Um, okay, yeah. let's let's zone into product market fit. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Mari's shaking her head. I know yes, our listeners exactly can't see. What I had. Mari's like, yes, tell me product <laughs> yeah. market fit. Yeah, so when you say you didn't have product market fit, walk us through what you mean by that. Yeah, and when I started my first business, people would say, you need to find product market fit, but nobody could define that for me. 
And I was like, oh, well, we have people who like our product. We have a few hundred users who are using it and you know, they're saying they would pay for it. So for me, I didn't quite understand product market fit until my second company actually, because I saw it. Um, and so for Black Women Talk Tech, what our issue was, it wasn't that we were pushing to find customers and getting them to pay. It was that we had too much coming in and we couldn't manage it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we had a, so many opportunities coming our way and so much interest that there was no way we could, uh, with the small team that we had, uh, take advantage of all of those opportunities. So it was more about like, can you manage this influx? And, and I like to define it as um, if you have a product that is, is truly terrible, right? You know it's terrible, you know it's really bad, but people are still giving you money for that product, that is product market fit. And so for us, uh, that was true for us in Black Women Talk Tech when we did our first conference, uh, and I used conference loosely because we were truly just in a uh, 30 person room in Google, New York City. They gave us the room and hey, said, that's sure, you can have a it's couple a people. Yeah. <laughs> you can have two people um, and call it a conference. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and then we, I think we promoted it for two weeks before the event. We had 300 people who wanted to come. We could only fit 100 people in and, and truly had people knocking down the doors at Google. They did not invite us back the next year because there were so many people just trying to get into the event. Oh my God. Um, and, and then after that, uh, we saw people creating these groups. It was like the Black Women Talk Tech offshoot group and they would have you know meetings every Sunday and brunch. And, and that's when we saw, oh, there's a huge need for this that has not been filled. Uh, and we knew that was truly a, a good product market fit. So that's what I say. We've all had those moments where we bought something from a somewhat shady website, you know, but it was something we really, really needed and we couldn't find anywhere else. And that's product market fit, right? When you're like, I'm going to take this chance on this product that may not be that great because it fits my needs so strongly. Um, and so if you have people who are doing that, and that's why a lot of people say, you know, put your product out there early so you can test that people are willing to pay money for what you're building before you get too deep into it and you have this huge product that nobody wants. Oh, you are preaching my Absolutely. language. Mari and I, I feel like yeah, this, oh, is Lucy Lab. this is Lucy Lab. This yeah. is like all things Lucy Lab. Like don't build crap that nobody wants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it amazes me how many founders that and, you know, and we are guilty of this too in the early stages. Yeah. I did this 10 years ago. Yeah. I have this amazing idea and I think it's great. Therefore, everyone will love it. And it's like, mm -hmm. ah, mm -hmm. pump the brakes. Like, no, <laughs> let's make sure there's actual need for this in a customer base before you spend your life savings or you go off and you raise money or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Quit um, your job. Quit your job. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I I really want to dive into sort of um, diving into Black Women Talk Tech because I feel like we are opening up a dialogue that is so needed right now. And obviously, you know, I am a Caucasian female, you know, Mari is a minority as, you know, as well, but we are not black women. So I would love to give a platform to talk about what these needs were and still are and how you've seen those needs change over time and how, um, I know you're not directly involved in black women talk tech anymore. I know, I believe you're on the board, um, but you're not directly involved anymore since launching funder, but 
you know, shine some light for us on specifically these fundraising challenges that black women are facing um, and any other challenges that you really feel that Black Women Talk Tech is specifically addressing in your unique way. Absolutely. So when we started Black Women Talk Tech, I would say fundraising was definitely uh, a huge issue that we saw anecdotally, you know, we had all experienced it ourselves and come up against a lot of barriers in terms of fundraising, but all, because we didn't have any numbers, you just sort of attributed it to yourself, right? I'm just not good enough. I'm not a good enough founder. My business isn't good enough. Uh, but once you start putting people together and you start hearing that same story over and over again, you realize, oh, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. um, and during that time, I think this was maybe a, a few months actually before we did the conference, the uh, Project Diane report came out and noted that only 11 women, black women ever had raised over a million dollars. Uh, and they on average are getting $36,000 in funding versus 1.4 million for the average startup. Mm -hmm. um, and that really just put it into perspective uh, that this is not me, I'm not crazy. There's a systemic issue here. So that has always been uh, a problem, this huge funding gap, and it continues to be. I'd say that's still the number one issue because it's not about raising money for the sake of raising money. It's about being able to compete against others who have been able to raise money. So if we're given $36,000, what am I gonna do with that when my competitor has $1.4 million, right? right? That, that's the real issue. And what ends up happening is that black women uh, tend to go into debt in order to do it themselves. They're taking out um, loans and they're putting on their credit cards. Uh, they're paying it through their own savings in order to make up for the money that they haven't received. They don't have friends and family who can write them million dollar checks, um, uh, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up creating not only this uh, funding gap, but then a wealth gap for those founders as well. Um, so it, it, it truly becomes this, this major issue. Some of the other things that we've been addressing as well is around um, the promotional aspect of who gets to be a leader. And this has changed pretty significantly. I will say when we first started, the shocking part of finding and having 300 women come to our conference was that we didn't know there were 300 founders out there who were black women. We never ever saw black women in the media who were running tech companies. Um, and so it was shocking to gather everyone. I remember one of our panelists uh, at our first event said, this is a radical event that you did this, <laughs> you know, that you had all these women in the same room talking about this because it had really never been done before. And so that I'm seeing change, um, you know, there's just so much emphasis, particularly from last year and the social justice um, mm -hmm. upheavals that we had that summer, there's now been more of a focus on who gets that media attention and time. Um, and that changes things because like you said, you can't be who you can't see, right? Mm -hmm. And so even for myself as an adult, when I see women who are accomplishing the things that I wanna do, it's empowering for me and it's, it's inspiring and exciting. Um, so those are a lot of the, the big things that we were doing. And then I said the last thing is around research. Um, so putting more of a spotlight in terms of some of these disparities and who are black women. Last year we created um, a research report that talked about um, not only just the funding gap and disparities, but who are these women and what are they doing? And what we found is that they are incredibly passionate. 
They are so driven. They are willing to do anything to, to make their businesses successful. They're mostly working in um, social equity spaces because mm -hmm. it's a lot of their businesses are built from their experiences and the, the, the pain points that they have had themselves. Um, and so we've seen a lot of things around Black women founders that are totally different from other founders, right? And using that as a unique perspective to give investors incentive to invest in us as well. So those I think are some of the things we were working on and um, have made and seen huge progress in the industry since. That's wonderful. So through Black Women Talk Tech, are you, um, is the leadership team connecting Black founders to investors, education, conferences, mm -hmm. sort of all, all the things? Okay. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, a lot of that came through the conference and uh, inviting investors and having roundtables and matchmaking series with them. Uh, we have helped, uh, at the time last year, we helped over 50 women get funding. And for most of them, it was their first checks in. Uh, they had struggled previously and either through education or connection or being a part of our pitch competition and they get that promotion, promotional boost from it. Um, they were able to go out and fundraise. And so for us, it, that's huge. Uh, and then we started doing that uh, more systemically where we were uh, creating matchmaking series for specific investors. And I know that's still going on um, and has turned into its, its own uh, program for the organization. Yeah, wow, amazing. Oh, I love the work that you do. That's all I need to say. <laughs> I just love all of it all the time. Um, okay, so then let's, Let's sort of keep going down this funding path because you had mentioned that raising for Keep Up, um, that you couldn't raise after that. And I, I want to circle back to that and then I want to kind of, you know, keep moving into maybe a dialogue about like who should fundraise because you see a lot of information on Instagram in particular about, you know, so and so raised a million dollars and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, raising capital is not for everybody and in fact like the conversations that we've had and even mentors in our community it's actually not for most founders so i'd love to get your perspective on that um but i but i want to go to something that um, a friend of mine said who has raised several million in, in capital she has an influencer marketing platform and she said in her fundraising journey that once she raised her first round it was like there was so much pressure and anticipation to do something with that cash that she ended up having like she she attributed it to being on like a hamster wheel like once you're on it you can't get off like you have to keep raising 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 so i know that i know i just threw a lot at you but um a did you experience that um once you were able to you know fundraise i know that's more more along lines of funder but like what why were the biggest reasons outside of lingo that you just simply were hitting a wall with, with fundraising for keep up yeah no i i love all that it's all interconnected too you know mm -hmm. i think when you talk about who should be raising um, and why understanding that there is sort of a hamster wheel aspect to it is really important because I don't think a lot of founders think through that. They yes. say, oh, I can't wait to raise this million dollars. Um, and, and that's it. That's the goal, right? I'm going to raise that million dollars. Um, and I, I hear that from a lot of women, especially. And I think because it still is a far off goal and there haven't been so many people who've done it, it's 
it's a milestone for a lot of people and I understand that, but there's, there are, um, I wouldn't say consequences necessarily, but there are things that come with trade-offs fundraising that trade-offs, mm-hmm. uh, exactly that come with raising that amount of money. Uh, because the expectation is that once you raise that money, you're, you have to get a return on it, right? They want to get that money back and then some, mm-hmm. uh, these are investors just by nature, they're investing to get a return and make more money on it. And I think a lot of founders forget that piece or don't think through what that looks like for them. Um, and often that means you're going to raise multiple rounds and to raise these rounds, you're probably going to be doing that all the time. It takes a long time to raise a seed. It takes a long time to raise a series A and and even longer, the further out you get um, to the point where you have to make the decision of exiting through acquisition or IPO, you're building a huge business and you're you're always going to be on that hamster wheel if you decide to take out um, traditional institutional funding. Um, So for Keep Up, I think I didn't understand that. (laughs) You know, I just thought, oh, I'm going to get some money and that's exciting. And that means that our business is, is doing well if we have some some funding. So part of it was I didn't quite understand what that looked like and what their expectations were in terms of growth and in terms of where we were going. Um, and I, I made money the goal, which I think a lot of people do. And I changed that with funder. It's, it's not that money is the goal, it's that the money will help us get to our other goals and, and use it as fire and fuel. Um, so I think that was part of it was not understanding the um, the implicit needs of investors. They have their own LPs that they're answering to as well. Everyone has a boss, <laughs> you know, if you go into mm-hmm. the venture capital world um, and understanding that ecosystem and understanding how you fit into it is is so important. I did not get that when I first started and I didn't understand what that meant for me and what those trade-offs were. Yeah. It sounds definitely like you got to be in the club, right? And you got to know someone Mm -hmm. in the club (laughs) to Mm -hmm. give you a behind the scenes tour of how it all works in order to do it successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I think some of it is around knowing how it works, but a lot of it is around the warm introductions that come with it too. And that I didn't understand either. I was just cold emailing people and going through their websites, but the best way to get meetings um, and to be considered fairly is unfortunately still through warm introductions and yeah. meaning that you have to know someone who knows that person. And when you think about um, the inequities in America um, and how the venture industry is set up, I but ni- more than 90% of venture capitalists are white men who live in Silicon Valley, New York, or Boston. How am I, as a black woman who did not grow up in that world, going to have a warm introduction and someone who's going to put themselves on the line to to make that introduction for me, right? I've built it up over time, but it's significantly harder for me to do than it is from someone else who may have a dad whose friend works in that business, right? So I think thinking through how we are even approaching investing as an industry and the biases that leak into every stage of it um, is, is really important to understand both, um, I think, as an investor and as a founder and how that might affect you during your fundraising time. Mm-hmm. So beautifully said. It reminds me of a video I saw online a while ago. I shared it uh, on my Facebook like some months ago, but it literally made me tear up. Um, I'm going to I'm going to botch it and I'll make it I'll make it fast. But it, it's like a visual representation of everything that you're talking about. 
it had a group of students. I believe they were like high school students and their coach. He had them all line up on like a on a field on a line. And he was like, OK, if you have two parents, take two steps forward. Right. You saw that you're shaking your head. You saw this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you yeah. had an op- if you had a private tutor, take two steps forward. Like and he just like gave all these mm-hmm. examples and you could see who was at the front of the line and who was at the back of the line. And like I would have been at the back of the line there was like one or two of those things. And I just, it like really hit me like, wow. And like his whole point was everyone has the, the talent and the ability to be able to be at the front of the line. Right. But your circumstances will push you forward or, or hold you back. And so I just think that's so beautifully said what you said and the fact that you know, you're doing, you're addressing this disparity really brilliantly with Funder, which we're totally going to get into. But then, you know, even before Funder, you know, all the work you guys are doing at Black Women Talk Tech, addressing that as well is is really important. So thank you for that work. Thank and, th- and thank you for sharing. Okay. Yeah. And um, there's, there's actually a, a whole movement now in the VC uh, community around that piece that you were just talking about, and it's called distance traveling. Mm. And so what people are now doing is saying, where did you start and where did you end up, right? So if you started off with uh, you know, a legacy, Harvard legacy, and your parents got you in and then you ended up at Google, like that's not necessarily going to be as impressive as if you um, were first generation college students and you know you kind of worked uh, multiple jobs while you were there and you went to community college and ended up at Google right yeah. so thinking through like what how many steps and how many barriers did you have to jump over to get to where you are um, on the entrepreneurial side shows resilience right mm-hmm. so it's seen as actually um, a benefit for entrepreneurs so there's a lot of people now thinking through that and uh, it's not about what you did but what did it take for you to get to to get there right and those are the people you want to back the ones who are going to fight and who have been through a lot because you know that they're going to be able to fight to get to a winning uh exit for you they're gonna get back up again yep amazing Mm -hmm. Mm. and and speaking of resiliency uh lauren you you know you talked about keep up and having to move up from from that journey move on from that journey i'd love to hear about how that happened so sometimes it's hard when when something so large happens to not keep trying or to say like okay it's time to move on and apply what i learned into something else and something different that's going to make a a bigger difference or a bigger impact how did you get to that point it was a journey it was really hard i lost myself after that I think I had put so much of who I was into being an entrepreneur that when that didn't work out, I didn't know where to go or to do. Um, emotionally, it was an issue. I lost a lot of friends through that. Um, I Financially, I lost a lot of money. I ended up having moved back into my parents. <laughs> um, wow. I lost a lot of trust with people because like I, I mentioned, I had a co-founder and that sort of exploded and she was a good friend of mine and you know just losing trust in terms of the things that happened in that relationship um and learning to trust other people as business partners was was hard for me so i actually think that what ended up helping was starting black women talk tech funny enough because i met other women who were kind of going through the same thing but then when i started working with asos and regina i was like oh like it could be completely different and if you talk to them, 
I, I've told them many times I had a hesitation of working with them and starting another business and having co-founders again. And that actually just changed through like pushing through some of that fear and pushing through some of that anxiety and taking it one step at a time, literally. Like we didn't jump in and start a business right away. We actually didn't even incorporate our business until after our first conference. And then we talked through all of the things that, you know, what does our relationship look like and how are we gonna work together and what are ex our expectations for this business? Um, and so it, it truly was just like one foot in front of the other and sort of moving, moving through it. Yeah, it was, it was tough though. It was definitely uh, probably one of the harder times uh, that I've experienced, yeah. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing and thank you for being vulnerable. That certainly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important too for anyone listening who is thinking like, all I need is just a co-founder to, you know, they can do that and I can do this and everything will be great. Um, I mean, there is like strong data that suggests and backs up that when two, two brains are better than one, especially when it's mm -hmm the two right brains that are or not right two correct <laughs> aligned brains mm -hmm. that are working together with shared values and this makes me think about our partnership mari like when we were figuring right. out her branding co literally when i approached mari i mean we, we were both sort of like you know dating eh, like we like each <laughs> other let's see what's going on and i just recognized immediately that like mari had so many skill sets and that we were so aligned and i remember our first like attempt at a partnership conversation and i was like look a i'm a scorpio so either i'm all in or i'm all out i'm sorry it's just how i'm built right that's how the stars have created me so there's that and then and then secondly you know having you know seen partnerships fall and rise I really felt that it was really important that we genuinely consider this like truly a marriage in, in some form or capacity. Like yeah. in, in a marriage, hopefully the trust is very high. The communication is very high. Not that you always have the same point of view, but like yeah. you have to be willing to recognize that a constant communication has to be happening and you can't be afraid to have hard conversations like we've seen each other's tax returns because we just are getting certified for, as a women-owned business and like not a lot of partners though like go and do that work and i have found that partnerships fail not because they have difference in business you know strategy it's because the the foundation of the partnership is not aligned um, what are your thoughts on that lauren 100% agree with you. <laughs> yes. And it's there, it takes a lot of trust, like you said, and a lot of communication. And it truly is like a marriage. Um, and I don't think people realize that when they go in, it's just like, Oh, I like you. And this is fun. And let's, yeah. let's just do this together. But that fun phase only lasts for so long. Yeah. Right? Until it gets hard. Something falls apart. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets hard. Yeah. And something falls apart. And things don't align to your expectations and that's when the hard conversations start and if you don't have someone who is willing to go through those conversations with you that is truly when things will start to break um it, it it's hard and when you remove yourself from a co-founder a co-founder relationship ends um it feels like a divorce it truly does i've talked to a lot of co-founders who've been through it and they said and who've also been through divorce and they were like it was actually probably harder worse for my co-founder <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know because you have so much 
caught up in it. It's yeah. it's your dreams, it's your business. There's probably employees who are leaning on you and there's so much wrapped into that partnership um, and so much vulnerability that comes with it that you have to trust those people um, and you have to trust that they will have your back and have the hard conversations to, to sort of pull you through. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you 100 percent yeah so let's get super tactical here for a second so if someone is listening in and they're thinking about you know trying to find a co-founder or working with a team what are some of like you know key takeaways that you can share from now the four companies that you've built about team building and and about you know whether it be senior leadership or a co-founder or whatever cmo cto what are sort of these core things that founders at the early stage should really be looking for Oh, yeah. Uh, So I would say complementary skills. So don't get someone who has the same exact background as you. Uh, You want to make sure that you're filling the gap as much as you can with your co-founder team. Uh, That was one thing that I did not do in my first business. You know, we kind of had came from the same background and that caused conflict. Um, The the second is that make sure that they want the same things that you want and they want to build the same type of company. So we talked about Mm. scalability. Um, do you want to go down that road? You know, do you want to continuously raise and have the pressure of finding an exit and growing really quickly? Or would you prefer to do a slower growing company and a lifestyle business that you can pass on to your kids? Those are totally different journeys. Um, and having those conversations and about what you are going to put in to, and to get out, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. is, is really important. Uh, I would say, make sure that you date, like you just said, (laughs) think about it as a marriage. You're not gonna just marry someone after one conversation. So, you know, make sure you're dating, do some projects together before you actually take that leap and commit and sign documents and give out equity, make sure you work well together. Um, And then I'd say the last is to continue to have the hard conversations. And if you need someone to come in to help facilitate those conversations, don't be afraid to do it. So Mm -hmm. I have brought in um, coaches in every single one of my businesses to work with my co-founders because sometimes you need an outside perspective to uh, get through things when you're misaligned or where you're talking past each other. Um, so don't be afraid to pull other people in to help. It's just like, you know, marriage counseling and couples therapy, you know, you sometimes you just need that extra person to to bring you through. So I would say those are my my top four things in terms of finding a co-founder. Gems. Absolute gems. Oh yeah. Dropping gems for sure. Oh my God, we're almost out of time and I have so many more questions. Okay. So <laughs> I do want to touch on funder because it's your most recent amazing business. It's like all of your experiences now come to this like head. So tell our listeners about Funder, exactly what you're doing with the business and kind of what's next, what's next for you. Yeah. So uh, Funder is a platform that's helping people fundraise essentially. So we're automating the process from the evaluation. We're using an AI to remove bias from the process and to create more equity when people are evaluating these different companies. Uh, We have an automated close so you can quickly get the checks into your business and connect with 
investors uh, with literally the click of a couple of buttons. And then we make the long-term relationship easy as well. So we have monthly tracking and reporting and uh, connections to the founder community as well as investors. So um, we have been working on this for a couple of years, launched end of last year, uh, did our first pilot portfolio earlier this year um, and are actually building out our SaaS business um, as well. So now we have angel groups and accelerators and funds and private wealth groups who are using the platform as well to help not only remove bias from their process, but bring more efficiency to the space. So I think for a lot of founders and investors, the frustrating piece of fundraising is that it just takes so long, right? Mm -hmm. It just takes uh, on average six months to raise your seed round. Um, I've heard some people who spent years doing it. Uh, and on the investor side, it's just as long uh, because they're going through all those conversations with you. And so creating more efficiency so you can get back to doing what you really love, which is building the business is uh, what we're working on at Thunder. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, is it's not only for black entrepreneurs. Is that right? Mm -hmm. It is. Exactly. Exclusively. Oh, no, it, it is isn't. No, That's it's I not. Yeah, it's okay. for... It's for everyone. Okay. So mm -hmm. even though we are removing bias um, and creating more equity in the space that doesn't just affect black founders, mm -hmm. it doesn't just affect women, it's geographical, it's um, whether you're an immigrant, it's uh, you, if you have a disability, it's your sexuality, it's where you came from economically. There's so many different factors that come into play and that um, have been proven to uh, create bias within this process that we are working to remove. So for us, it's truly about creating access and equity for everyone so that the best ideas can get funded. Yep, beautiful. Okay, I have one last question before we start to close the episode and do our rapid fire. And it's a very unfair question to have you answer quickly. So I'll just say that out loud. <laughs> and my, my unfair question is, based on your experience and what you see getting funded, I think that founders need to have a very clear understanding of what type of businesses actually should get some sort of institutional funding. So could you help our listeners kind of put it in categories? And again, I know that's a very unfair question, but you know, if someone's, someone's listening and they're thinking about receiving funding and they're like, I don't even know if my business is fundable, how would a founder think about that? And are any sort of tips or advice that you could give? Yeah, and I would say there's, I'll start with the fact that there's different types of funding, right? So you don't have to go to venture capitalists in order to get funding for your business. You can get loans, you can get grants, you can win pitch competitions, you can do um, crowdfunding like mm -hmm. Kickstarter. There's a ton of ways that you can bring in money for your business that don't necessarily mean you're talking to VC firms. So I just want to be clear about that, um, that funding is not just one thing. But mm -hmm. if you are talking to venture capitalists specifically, um, they are looking for scalable businesses. And the way that I define that is, can you make money in your sleep? So that means that if you're a consulting business and you have to work on something in order to make money, or if you're a brick and mortar store or retail business where you have to be there in person you know, to meet customers and make money, that's likely not going to be the type of company that works for a venture capitalist because they want the amount of money that you put in in order to get out they want that ratio to be really really high right mm -hmm. i put a little bit of money in 
but eventually it'll pay off down the line and I can continue to bring money in off of that one tiny investment, right? So if you think about Amazon, when Bezos goes to sleep, his site is still making money because there doesn't necessarily have to be someone there processing everything that comes through at that moment. Um, so oftentimes it's tech companies, and I think that's where a lot of the venture capital space is moving, but it doesn't have to be. It could be products. It could be consumer products. Um, I have seen some brick and mortar retail stores, um, you know, or things that have connections like Peloton, right? So they have their brick and mortar stores and they have physical products, but they also have virtual classes. So it could be something like that. Um, but at the end of the day, what venture capitals are looking for is someone who's going to have at least a 10 X return. Um, so if they believe that your company can do that, which means whatever money they put in, they want to see through an exit of some sort acquisition or IPO that they're gonna get 10 times that, mm -hmm. um, that's what they're looking for. And so if you're able to do that and create something that will be at least a billion dollar company and give them some 10X return, um, that's what they're looking for in terms of the venture capital space. Awesome, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. I think um, that's some sort of insider knowledge that most entrepreneurs don't know, right? Like what type of return mm -hmm. should I be? you know, expecting from, you know, and how do I even exit? Oh, I feel like we could do a whole episode on this and maybe we'll have you back to be able to talk yeah. more about fundraising, but okay. Love you. Yes. Awesome. So Mari has some rapid fire questions for you and then we'll, we'll work on closing the episode. Yeah. And before we get into that, uh, tell our listeners, how can they get connected with you? How can they support you? We'll definitely link everything in the show notes, but just tell us what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on funder.ai. That's our website. We're also on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I personally, as you mentioned earlier, don't have a lot of social media, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> and I try to get the most uh, questions or connections there. So if you want to reach out to me there, you can find me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. So these are four questions. We'll go uh, pretty quick. So whatever comes to mind, we'll go with it. So what is your favorite book right now or a book that has influenced you the most? Yeah. So I read a lot. Um, so I don't know if I have like one book, but I will say the, the book I most recently finished that I loved was called um, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Uh, and they bring a lot of the principles in terms of uh, engineering and uh, space travel into your personal life and particularly in business. Um, and one of the exciting things he talks about actually is around failure and how at NASA they deal with failure and how it, while we celebrate it in the startup world, that's not quite right. You know, we should not be afraid of failure, but we shouldn't necessarily celebrate it either. We should learn from it, right? right? The goal is to learn, not right. to the just goal is not to all fail. the time. <laughs> right. right, exactly. Right. Um, and so just, you know, drawing that line, I think was really interesting that we may have like gone a little too far over in some mm -hmm. ways in the world and bring it back to the, the point of failure, right? Which is a learning opportunity. So I love that book. Awesome, thanks for sharing. All right, what is your favorite productivity hack? 
I would say my favorite one is using the Apple's Reminders app for pretty much everything I do. So as soon as I have to do something, it goes in my reminders with a date and a time. And that's how I just keep my life together, truly. If it's not in there, it, it does not happen. Yeah. Um, and because I have sort of the Apple product suites, it reminds me whether I'm on my computer or on my phone. Um, so I'd say for me, that's, that's what keeps me organized. Love it. Uh, what is your biggest influence in who has been your biggest influence in entrepreneurship? Yeah, I will say I don't have a single person, but I'd say my peers, truly. Um, I am so inspired by the people around me. They keep me going. Uh, my peer group, those who are in the not maybe in the same place as I am, maybe a little bit further ahead or behind. Uh, I get so much inspiration from talking to other founders who are in it. Um, and I don't think that I would still be a founder if I didn't have that community around me. Yeah, I can sort of feel that. Awesome. And what is one piece of advice that you'd give to a female founder? I'd say keep pushing through. Uh, it's, it's a hard journey and it'll likely be harder for women than it is on average for, for men. Um, uh, I would just say keep going because if this is something that's really important for you and you feel like the world needs this, uh, and you are the one to bring this to the world, don't give on on that dream, no matter how many no's you get, no matter how discouraged you get, how many times you fail, you know, keep pushing towards your goals. And make sure you have product market fit. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Thank you, Lauren. You are a light and we always love talking with you. Thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing your experience with our, with us and with our listeners. I feel like I'm always learning something every time I talk to you. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. We hope you loved this episode. Here at Her Branding Co., we are deeply passionate about getting female founders access to the right marketing and branding education, tools, and resources that they need to build and grow their businesses. If you're interested in learning more about how Her Branding Co. can support you, check out our platform. You can think of us as the masterclass for female founders wanting to learn the ins and outs of branding and marketing. Our platform gives you access to a rich resource library of marketing courses, trainings, downloadable guides, workbooks, and other tactical, actionable resources that you can use in your business today. Platform members also receive exclusive access to monthly live mentoring sessions with incredible entrepreneurs who are dedicated to coaching you live. If you miss any of our trainings, everything is recorded and uploaded into your membership vault to access at any time. We add new trainings and courses monthly, and we're always on the lookout for the best marketing and branding resources to help you grow. We host live monthly masterclasses, which are free and completely open to anyone to attend. So head on over to our website, herbrandingco.com and sign up for a free class. On our website, you'll also see information about the Lucy Lab, our eight-week application-based marketing accelerator program, as well as our Marketing Mastermind, a 12-week mastermind program that's dedicated to helping you create, launch, and hit your marketing and sales goals. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram at herbrandingco, and you're always welcome to email us at hello at herbrandingco.com. To your success, this is Jess and Mari signing off, and we'll see you at the next episode.